picked off Polamalu. Polamalu going right. The field is open. Aaron Smith shields. Flacco Polamalu takes it home. Super Bowl 43. Pittsburgh might be bound for that thanks to number 43. Minus three with Dave Damashek and Jeff Schwartz. Do it, fellas. Hi, hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus Three presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make sure you tune in all season long for exclusive offers and odds boosts. FanDuel, more ways to win. Yes, it is Steelers Ravens week. It's uh, a big week in the NFC East. We're going to tell you which way to lean here with your money, with your heart, with your gut and your mind. Ryan Clark going to join us momentarily here. In the meantime, hello, Eddie Spaghetti, and hello to you, Jeff Schwartz. What's the poop, fellas? Well, I am very excited to be here. Dave, it's already week eight. It's week eight of the NFL season. Like It feels crazy to me. They're already there. And you know why I love this week? Because FanDuel gave us a great boost for this week for our show. As you know, we have been the home of the Steelers bandwagon for the entire season. We will continue on that bandwagon. FanDuel.com slash minus three. Get the Steelers at plus three and a half this weekend against the Ravens at plus 110. They boosted it from minus 104 to plus 110. Uh, This is important because when you have two great teams playing, like we see with the Ravens and Steelers, you get a lot of points. You're over a field goal. You you take it. Like, I don't think it's – it's it's what you do. And so FanDuel has hooked everyone up. FanDuel.com slash minus three for that is the official – or unofficial home, I guess, of Steelers football on the minus three podcast. (laughs) But but I – because people call me Schwartz, including you, which I don't care for – People call me a Steelers homer. I am not a homer because I and, and I know Eddie Spaghetti likes to get on me about that. Am I right in saying that Spaghetti? You think I'm? A, you do you inaccurately refer to me as a homer behind my back? I don't. I don't say behind your back. I can say okay. to your face. I think you. You definitely. Have, you have homer tendencies. I don't think I'm a Giants homer. I'm pretty negative towards the Giants. You are not really negative enough towards your team. I think some fans have to have a little bit of negativity. I don't understand towards what that. I'm not negative about my it. team. Why would I be negative? Yeah. Why would to be negative? Be honest. Well, no, that's true. But I, you have. You don't. That's you true. rarely criticize. You have to be. You have to allow. I, I'm not sure. Davis I think you need a little bit more. It's just my personal. But he definitely is a fan because the way he talks about his team via text message is quite alarming because he comes on the air yeah. and he says Steelers are the greatest thing ever. We're going to win. We're going to beat the Ravens by 14. They'll text us. Sunday I do not. Like, when do I say, when do I say like, that? He'll be like, guys, Oh my God. The Ravens, it's just not good, man. Big Ben. I heard he woke up. He had a bad omelet this morning. <laughs> Mike Tomlin was a little bit in a bad mood. Like I just, I heard from Ike that, that, that this happened. Yeah. And it's like, I see are going to lose this weekend. And then he texts us on Sunday after the game. I told you they would win. It's just, you know, just the, the fandom so, roller coaster yeah. up and down. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I thought we all, I thought we all agreed before we you started play this sides. program that we would all abide by the no jive policy. And all I hear is jive out of the two of you. First of all, I can be very critical of of my team. What I don't do, because I'm not eight years old, I, what what I hope happens does not necessarily equate with what I think is going to happen. I have rooting interest, and then I have keen insight and analysis that I provide for you, the listener, and for you, Jeff Schwartz, and you, Eddie Spaghetti. And I'm offended by uh, by the charges you're you're laying at my feet. Yes, in 2020, so far, there's not. I, I'm trying to toe a line of not complaining too much. My team is 
is undefeated. What do you want me to do? I'm not, what am I going to criticize him for? They're, it's they're, a good team. It's a good team. Good team. They're, they're yeah, it is. Well. It's undefeated. It's the only one. They're playing well. They're, they're the third best team in the NFL right now. And we'll, well, maybe I'll move up my power rankings after they win this weekend. We'll see. All right. We got and And also, like I say, a big NFC East tilt. And it does matter. And one of these teams very likely is going to go to the playoffs, whether you like it or not. We got to get into uh, to the Eagles and Cowboys. Schwartz, before the season got going, you took the Cowboys to win yeah. the division. I took the Eagles. Do you stand by the Cowboys pick? I thought we we're having no jive on this show, Dave, today. <laughs> no jive policy. Uh, no, of course the Cowboys pick was terrible. I mean, come on. They, well, they bought, they were all terrible. I mean, they, if you took any of these they teams. Could use, they, they, they could use me at offensive line. Um, look, I, I – uh, the Eagles are, are not very good either. And the Eagles are going to win this game by three touchdowns. Right? I mean, who, the Cowboys have a dude with a LinkedIn profile as their starting quarterback. I mean, that's who's starting quarterback for them. They, they need a wanted ad for more offensive linemen this week. Jerry Jones went and called Don Terry Poe, who they cut too fat to be on his team. I mean, like, they're just a complete disaster right now. They're arguing in the media. They're bickering about this. They're cutting. Mike Nolan got literal Tabasco in his eyes in a press conference. That, that's like watching them play football. It looks like their defense plays with Tabasco in their eyes. They can't see anything. They don't hustle. They don't play hard. The Eagles, look, give them credit. Carson Wentz, I don't know if he's good or not. I have no idea. But they play hard, right? They, they always play hard. And give me the team that plays hard. Who's getting healthier, by the way. They're getting a little bit healthier. I guess the Dallas Cowboys team who right now, in my opinion, lose every game and, and pick in the top four. Like, that's that, that's your goal now. Uh, as far as that goes, and then uh, we got to dial up uh, Ryan Clark here to break down uh, the, the big one. Um, but, you know, uh, Ryan Clark actually was uh, was tweeting earlier this week about, I feel like as far as these Cowboys go, I think Dak Prescott is really good. And it's funny that I find myself now suddenly arguing with Cowboys fans who are now big Dak guys. They're big Dak guys. I said, I've been in on Dak since his rookie year, since January of his rookie year when he played the way he did in big spots against the Packers and otherwise, I've liked him. Now people have rounded into shape, but I also think as good as Dak is, even if you tag him in 2021, let alone sign him to a, a massive long-term deal one way or the other coming off of uh, that terrible injury, I feel like they're kind of in a position, they need a full blow up here. It doesn't make sense on some level to bring Dak back. Yes or no? Um, I think they need a full blow. Now, I have said this for a while, and I, and I truly believe this, that Mike McCarthy is not in love with Dak Prescott. I feel like like there's something there that he does not like about Dak. And, and the example I keep giving, people think it's crazy. Not people that played, but people that, that just don't follow these type of things. Mike McCarthy admitted that he did not talk to, talk to Dak Prescott. Didn't even send him a text message for a week after he got the job. I mean, that to me shows you the priority of Mike McCarthy with Dak Prescott. Because, look, Dave – if, if you got a brand new job as a as a head coach of a team, wouldn't you call your quarterback immediately? Like I would, I get, Oh, Oh, okay. Jerry. Oh, Dak, how you doing? Like I would call him right away. He didn't call him for a week, one week. What was he doing for a week? He couldn't just pick up the phone and call his franchise quarterback. So I just don't think Dallas is totally sold on Dak Prescott. Maybe that's coming from Jerry and Steven through, you know, through McCarthy. Um, and also too, look, there's a distinct possibility that McCarthy's not here next season either. So I think that the Cowboys have a whole variety of ways to go in the offseason. I mean, Dave, how do you, you, you hired him to bring, you know, to obviously upgrade your team, right? The philosophy of your team to get him playing more discipline, 
They're doing the opposite. They've gone worse. Nothing they've done this season has gone well. Even though the the, the Dak argument's interesting. So he's put up a lot of a lot of points, right? A lot of yards, a lot of a lot of touchdowns. But they're behind in a lot of games early. Like, why is that? Why is the offense starting slow each week? Yes, turnovers are a part of it. Zeke keeps fumbling early in games. I get that. But we're seeing a team that plays well from behind. I'm not sure that's a trait that that in my opinion, you pay a quarterback for, right? You pay quarterback to be good the entire game. And I'm why is Dak not good early in games? I don't have the answer for that. His offensive line is not what it used to be. Their offensive line is never going back to what it was in 2016, his first year in the NFL. Like they're just they're there's something about Dak, and I agree with you. He's supremely talented. If he goes to the Bears, let's say, I think the Bears are a Super Bowl team. Like they're that good. They just need Dak Prescott there. But I don't know if the Cowboys really love Dak, man. I think the sweet spot that people have finally kind of figured out, and I feel like the Seahawks started that where when when the it's his rivalry week, really. And so this kind of feeds into that. The Niners and Seahawks, it feels like round about the same time, kind of landed in this place where it's like, oh, we have rookie, we have uh, QBs on their rookie deals. Ergo, we can really flesh out the roster and make a dominant uh, top yes. to bottom team here. And on the other side of things, at the same time, you had the old guard, you had the Patriots with expensive Brady and the Broncos with expensive Peyton, and there was less money to spend elsewhere, but that was okay because you had a Hall of Famer at QB and they made things right. Whereas those other two teams, those NFC rivalry teams, the, the, the Hawks and Niners, both were benefiting from that same thing. And I think the Cowboys kind of need to get back into that place. I mean, it, it's not an indictment of Dak, like I say, I think he's really good. Um, I just don't think it makes sense to give him $40 million given the the, the look of this team. As far as rivalries go, um, before we, again, talk Steelers-Ravens here with Ryan Clark, uh, Schwartz, your uh, your favorite rivalry game, I, you've touched on this one and you surprised me about it. It isn't uh, the Ducks and the Beavs. Oh, no, it's Oregon and Washington. We despise Washington. I like to, the record to, to be known that Oregon um, has won 18 in the last 24 games in that contest. And uh, I never lost to Washington. We, lo- we won 12 in a row. So I'd like to make that known to all the Washington fans out there that um, Oregon is uh, now better than Washington. And it, well, uh, there's no foreseeable future where that's going to change. So there you go, Husky fans. It's cool. You have so So you were a duck, but now – as a retired football man, now you have chickens. I do. Uh, How are yeah. the chickens? Chicken update. Um, I mean, they're good, I guess. We've gotten two eggs in like five days. So I, mean, I guess wow. it's going well. They're really young though. Off. They're they're young, so they're not gonna um, you know, they're not gonna be um, big big producing chickens right now. I mean, they're what it's just whatever. I don't I, I don't really understand the point of this. I, I told my wife well, this they're morning. They're furry too. They're also furry, which yeah. seems like it'd be neat for the little kids, but it But I the kids I, the I, kids stopped caring about them three days ago. You have young yeah. kids. I mean, what attention span are they gonna have for the chickens? They said they were cool for two days and they moved on to a new another toy they have at the house. Um I told my wife this morning, I said, Why I said the chickens like I don't really still it's five days in. What's the point of these things? Are you like, are you getting to be, has it happened yet? No jive now. Has it gotten yet for you? Like, you know, 
you haven't eaten in 40 or 50 minutes yet. And Jeff Schwartz's belly starts rumbling. Have you done like that Kramer looking at the chicken thing and like, or like uh, when Elmer Fudd looks at, uh, you know, at Daffy Duck and he, and he turns him into a cooked chicken. Have you, has that happened to you yet? Uh, it has not happened to me. Um, I'm you very, one? I'm, Are you I'm, planning on eating one? No, I'm very, I'm very, um, hungry right now actually I'm, I'm looking forward to eating after this is over um but the silky um the the silky chickens have black skin so it it, it kind of just doesn't look very appetizing i'm not gonna lie so um i uh i'd be out eating those chickens i mean i have i have literal food in a fridge i haven't looked at my chicken and thought too much plus they're babies like you, you don't want to eat baby chickens so um you know, maybe a couple months, Dave. You know, if the if the apocalypse ever comes, you know, after after the election, who knows what's going to happen next week? Uh, you know, I might have, I might have some some food. Some maybe food. out of necessity, you'll need it. But in the meantime, you open up the fridge and there's only tofu and some milk and stuff in there. Why You're would there be tofu have- in my fridge, Dave? Fair. Touche. Good point. Good point. All right. Let's get into it now. Let's talk about some pig skin instead of chicken skin with uh, with our guy, number 25 from the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ryan Clark. Second and six. by Timmons. Ryan Clark is still down. So too is Willis McGahee, and they say fumble recovery, Pittsburgh. All right. It's a, it's a holy week, you know, holy war time. Well, you know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers got past the Cleveland Browns, a.k.a. a team that wants to have a rivalry, but there isn't really one here. And I, as a reminder, I feel obliged to point out, if you're indifferent and objective and looking for one reason or another to root for the Steelers or the Ravens in the 21st century's greatest rivalry, a quick reminder for you. The Steelers are named after the mid-20th century heroes who forged the material used to defeat the Nazi scourge. They built the tanks and the ships and the artillery. You don't like the Steelers. You don't like freedom. You can go talk to Mussolini. Meantime, the Baltimore Ravens are named after a poem written by a man who spent most of his years in New York and Boston. And then in the last years of his life, moved to Baltimore, got drunk and died. (laughs) That's it. That's all true. Here he is, everybody, to help break it down with a little more depth. The man responsible for the signature play of the best rivalry in pro football, perhaps in all of sport. Here he is from ESPN, number 25. It's Ryan Clark. What's the poop, fella? Hey, I tell you what, man. If I ever was going to cheer for the Ravens, I sure hell ain't now. Well, listen, you make your decision. I just laid out some facts, and you can do with them what you want. How are you, Ryan Clark? I'm doing better. I'm doing better than the guy that they named the Ravens after, for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know if either one of you uh, remembered exactly what happened there. I've, I've talked to you about the play, like I talk about, from the odd eight AFC title game, the two best teams in pro football, nip and tuck all the way as it always is between the Steelers and the Birdies. And um, you delivered right after. 43, talk about signature play. The greatest play in Heinz Field history is Troy Palomalu intercepting rookie Joe Flacco, running it into the end zone. The the house almost came down. And then a moment later, 
you and McGahee bonked heads together. As I've said before, it was very much like um, Creed Balboa too. When Rocky knocks <laughs> Apollo Creed down yeah, and they're first. both laying there till a nine count and then Balboa barely gets up to claim the title. That was you. You barely got up at the end of that one while McGahee laid prone. And uh, that was the difference in that game. And so it is uh, through pretty much a quarter century of Steelers and Ravens lore. Yeah, man. You know what? Uh, somebody tweeted that this week and, and and it was like, hey, do you remember when Ryan Clark did it? And I was like, I do, but only because they were filming. <laughs> so, and that, like, that was kind of... That was kind of the thing, though. Uh, I remember when Troy made that play. I agree with you, though. That, that was the biggest play that, that I was a part of. Even, you know, we won, we won Super Bowl. We won a Super Bowl together. We went to another one. When when Troy caught that ball, that was that was probably the most Troy thing that could happen. You know, like Ike and I, we'd be sitting on the sideline and the games would get tight. And Ike would always look at Troy and be like, hey, man, it's time for you to do some of that Troy SHIT. You know what I mean? Yeah, all right. Nah. <laughs> like all was the- that easy? You just had to tell them? It was man, like, well, just, well, oh, you should well, do that now. I'll be honest. It worked sometimes. Sometimes they just stayed away from him. But if he had an opportunity, you know, big things, big things would happen. And that's what that play was about, man. Troy was in the spot to make a play. Uh, and he did. And, 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 and I knew it was a big time play because he actually celebrated. You know, he raised his arms. He actually smiled. He was happy. You know, most times he'd make a play. He'd do the side of the cross. He'd go sit down and drink some water. You know, that, that was different. It was different for us. It was different for him. Um, and then as far as the hit, man, like the, the quickest story I could tell about it was, I don't know if you remember this, Dave, but the week before, uh, playing San Diego Chargers, is late in the game. We're blowing them out. Darren Sproles catches the same exact route and goes like 70 yards. And when he did it, the quarterback, thanks for the Rivers, moved Darren Sproles from one side of him to the other side. And he ran the route because they knew what coverage we'd be in. So... Same thing happens. If you go watch the play, they move McGahee from one side of Joe Flacco to the other side. So I go stand in the exact place that I stood uh, to give the exact same look that Darren Sproles had, but we were in a different coverage. So, you know, Lawrence Timmons moves over with him. Lawrence Timmons goes out. And so, like, if you watch the play, I just planted my back leg and started running. And, you know, and my thought process was, if they throw him this ball, I'm just not going to stop running. And (laughs) Like I'm a, I was like, I'm gonna run until I hit something, and then when I hit something, we'll let everybody figure it out after that. And it, you know, it turned <laughs> into a very, a very Steeler play, you know. And and for us, that that that's something that I think we we all we all believed in. We knew what that rivalry was about, and so I'm excited and honored that I'm still a part of it. What what makes that rivalry so different from the rest of the NFL? Because look, Giants Eagles are a rivalry, right? There's plenty of rivalries in the NFL, but there's something different. It feels like the only one that feels very collegiate, right? Like there's actual hate between the fan bases and the players. The players hate each other. I talked to Willie Cologne many times about this rivalry. Like he he the fire in his face when he talks about the Ravens. So what is it specifically about this game that well, has the players hate each other? Well, G, first off, Willie's just always <laughs> yeah, bro. correct. Yes, I, be like, hey. How do you feel about this hot dog? Man, I freaking hate that hot dog. <laughs> I freaking hate it. <laughs> and like, you know, I will, I will say, I will say for me, the the thing was they played football like we did. You know, we, yeah. we truly believed that we were the most physical team in the NFL, and we truly believed that there was no team in the league 
that if it just came down to raw physicality, who's willing to hurt themselves or their opponents the most, we didn't feel like anybody was willing to do that with us. But for as much as we wanted to have that machismo and that ego, we knew that that team in Baltimore would. You know, we knew that that, that they felt like, yeah, the same way y'all feel, we feel like that every single week. And um, Rex Ryan talks about talking to Coach Tomlin before games and saying, you know, how they would be like on the field being very complimentary of each other's teams. But he said in his head the whole time he'd be thinking, nah, my team's going to be more physical today. And he said, and he knew Mike T was thinking the same thing. And like, that's what made it good. Yeah. The other part is for a very long period of time, especially in that era, if the winner of that game, the winner of our division had a very good chance of going to the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, there were two years where we played each other to figure out and in playoffs to figure out who would go. And we were probably the best two teams in the AFC. And so I think, Having both teams be extremely good, having both teams be extremely physical, kind of gave a gave, like had this respect. You know, it's it's kind of like when when two big punchers box. You know what I mean? When when it's two dudes with knockout power, like you, you understand, like you walk in and you like, I know if I catch him, I can put him to sleep. But I also know if I show my chin, he could do the same to me. And I think that was what, what was so amazing about it. It was also why I hated it. I hated when the Ravens gave Joe Flacco all that money. And I hated when Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell became the best two players at their position. Because it totally changed the rivalry to me. Right? One, the teams weren't as good. Uh, and then two, neither team believed that physicality was the way to win. Right? The Ravens were trying to justify giving Joe Flacco $100 million, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are trying to make sure Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown touch the ball as much as possible. Boy, that's a fascinating point, and, and, and it sounds exactly right. And practically, I, you know, and, and, and to then jump into some QB talk here, because I've seen you buzzing this week on social media about Dak Prescott and what the Cowboys should do, but real quick about that. Practically, as we talk about this this uh, steeped rivalry and these two teams don't like each other because they're too much alike, I think literally that's kind of true. This isn't Ali. You referenced two, uh, two big heavyweights. Ali Frazier was fascinating because the difference in styles, that was kind of like Ali is the Chiefs versus Joe Foreman right. I mean, versus George Foreman. This is kind of like Joe Frazier versus George Foreman, which is to say practically – the Ravens and Steelers want the same pieces. They want the same guys. They both wanted a couple of years ago in the draft, if I'm not mistaken, a little Ike once told me that um, the Steelers wanted Marlon Humphrey before yes. the Ravens got him. And a lot of Steelers fans this offseason spent uh, spent their time wringing their hands. We should have gotten J.K. Dobbins. And you yep. don't hear a lot of that anymore with Chase Claypool. But the point is, the desire is exactly the same kind of football player as what both sides want. And so it is to some degree looking in the mirror a little bit. Is that fair? Yeah. It's to me, it's back now though. Right. Because when, when you would come into the game, when, when this rivalry was at its best, what'd you say? The most physical team will win. Right. So now we know when we look at that, we look at the Baltimore Ravens offense versus the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, Pittsburgh yeah. defense that went up against Derrick Henry. Last week, you know, who's going to block T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, Cam Haywood, Stephon Tewitt? Who's going to stop? Who's going to block Vince Williams, who's one of the most physical run defenders at the linebacker position in the league? Then on the other side of the football, 
We have you got three running backs that can all go. Dobbins, Ingram, Edwards is a freaking closer. And then you got the most, to me, the most exciting runner to ever play the quarterback position. And hmm. now you're talking about that offensive line against that front seven and who's going to win that battle of physicality. And then the other thing that used to tell the tale of the winner of the Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh still a rivalry was who's going to turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. Right. When you watch the Baltimore Ravens tackle, they ball search constantly. You mentioned Marlon Humphrey. Uh, I have my own training facility uh, and my own training um, regimen called DB Precision. You know, we're like a little small community. It's like a little coat of defensive backs. Um, but I just cut different videos to show people just different guys who do certain things. And every week the Baltimore Ravens play, there's a clip of not Marlon Humphrey breaking up a pass, not Marlon Humphrey getting an interception, but of Marlon Humphrey forcing a fumble, punching a ball out. Then you have a guy like Marcus Peters, who's the pure ball awareness guy. And then you look at Ben Roethlisberger in the second half of the Tennessee Titans game, and there were three turnovers. And so you start to say, okay, the team that's the most physical, the team that could turn the ball over, that's the team that wins this game. And historically, when this rivalry was the best, that's what it was about. And so I'm excited to see. Man, it is crazy that you said that. And I'm not just uh, jumping on this because you said I. I really do think, and it, I, I'm it, a lot of football games like whoever wins the turnover battle wins. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an odd. I really feel like this game specifically is about that because, and to your other point about the Ravens are ball hawking, that that kind of is the big turn for this Steelers defense. A lot of people, as you know, on the banks of the Three Rivers, pine for the seventies. When the Steelers going to get back to Franco and running the ball and and just. Uh, <laughs> And just shut down defense. Well, that doesn't exist in the 21st century. The Steelers finally have finally caught on to that, it feels like to me, and got caught up with Minka Fitzpatrick and and players like that that actually take the ball away. That's what it's about. And I think this game in particular is really about that. You know the Ravens secondary is pining to try and pick off seven. But if the Steelers can turn Lamar Jackson over a little bit, I think that could make the difference for them. Is that? I mean, I know that's simplistic, but – it's it's simple, but but not, you know. I think the Steelers are built differently uh, than they had been. I mean, if you look at a guy like T.J. Watt, it's a dude that affects the game on every level. Mm-hmm. Um, he rushes the passer. You know, when he rushes the passer, he's a guy that's very ball aware. Uh, he can drop in coverage, uh, get interceptions. We've seen that. He also, in tackling, tackles the football. Uh, you know, you got a guy like Bud Dupree who can do much of the same from the other side. And obviously, Mika in the middle, he's – He's made himself uh, loved by the Pittsburgh Steelers fans because of the turnovers he was able to create last year and obviously the pick six against um, the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield. And so the thing about the Baltimore Ravens passing game, it is almost completely inside the numbers. Mm -hmm. It it truly is. So it's going to be about Mike Hilton. It's going to be about uh, Terrell Edmonds. It's going to be about Mika Fitzpatrick. Like, can, can these guys find ways to catch tip passes, catch overthrows? Can they get enough pressure to where balls are errant, errant inside those areas, areas and pick them off? And the Steelers played really well against Lamar Jackson last year. And that's MVP, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson. And so I think they'll be looking to do the same thing. But on the other side of it, Ben has to protect the ball as well. You know, Lamar Jackson set a bar so high last year with his play that even when he's stepped back a little bit, everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with the the Ravens offense? Have you seen a a different offense this year? I think teams have figured out, to your point, 
he throws the middle of the field, and when and when we go tackle him, just force him to the sidelines. It, it, it's what the Titans did really well last season. The Chiefs did that as well this year. Is there is there a blueprint now on how to stop the Ravens' offense? I mean, be scared as hell is a good blueprint. blueprint <laughs> you know, um, one and yeah, you know this, G. Like you gotta have the people too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, like we know that LeBron's gonna do certain things, but you gotta have the guys. Like, yeah. Draw it and scheme it up much as you want. You know, no matter no matter what Was- the Washington football team thought, he still went for 50 on yeah. on a run. They knew it was coming. They just couldn't stop it. And so I'm not necessarily, you know, sure that there, there's a blueprint, but you do understand what they're doing. Um, what I haven't liked from the Baltimore Ravens this year was, was Greg Roman. Uh, he's really lacked to me that the Baltimore passing game lacks creativity. You know, even if it can start getting – yeah. So start thinking, you know, San Francisco 49ers pass game, Los Angeles Rams pass game. I think, you know, you can do some of those things with Lamar Jackson, but they really don't. And maybe it's because they don't have some of those looks in the run game. So you can't get that type of pass game off of it. But I think more. You can if you wanted to. They, they totally could do. They, they could do a lot of bootlegs. They could do a ton of play. I mean, they could do more credit. But I think, you know, just like the, the Rams is a good example, in my opinion, because. When the Rams don't run the football, their their pass game is just different, right? Golf is not a third down passer. The Ravens are the same way, right? When when their run game's going, they can play action pass, they can bootleg, they look great. But now it's third and seven, third and eight, third and eleven. It's not what they do, and that that I think if you're looking for complete offenses, that kind of worries me that 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 they could fall in the same situation that we saw in the playoffs and against the Chiefs, where the Steelers get up fourteen nothing, and like it's done, game's over. No, you you're absolutely right, man, and it's. That that was what was supposed to be worked on. Obviously, they didn't get an offseason yeah. um, to do it. But, you know, Lamar seemed to try to be working on his individual passing. But I think as a team, they haven't developed that chemistry outside of the numbers to, to, to go out there and win. And that was why I thought they'd make the hardest push for Antonio Brown, to be honest, yeah. because I felt like they needed a guy who didn't need a great quarterback to win on the outside. You know, I know they go get Dez, but I don't think Dez, and no, no offense to him, I'm glad he has a job. I don't think he does that. No. And so uh, the fact that they missed out on getting Antonio Brown is a huge deal to me. I, I agree with you. And also, uh, to keep uh, bringing up your old pal from uh, from the secondary, Ike Taylor, I think he's right ultimately that maybe Antonio Brown is is about his money. I think he also would like to get a ring, to stick it to a lot of people in football. But practically, he's just not going to get the targets from Lamar Jackson. He's in a better spot with Tom Brady. I actually push back a little. I, if Des Bryant has a place that he can make it, I think it would be here because he just has to work that other seam for Mark Andrews in the red zone. And I he could be as fast as I am, which is to say not fast. And you can still, if you're Lamar Jackson, can't you just throw it in Des's general direction in the red zone, he still is. Even well, when Calvin Johnson was in the league, he's the best bet on a 50-50 ball there is. Well, that, that that started to decline and decrease, which is why he was no no, no longer a Dallas Cowboy, right? He, he wasn't coming down with those 50-50 balls as much as in the prime of his career. Uh, that's the one thing. Um, and Lamar Jackson doesn't need another Mark Andrews, right? Like finding yeah. another, another red zone or finding another threat inside the numbers that doesn't do anything but take one of those other dudes off the field who will be running that exact same route and put Des Bryant into doing that. What you needed to be able to do was have Mark Andrews on the field, have Snead on the field, have uh, Hollywood Brown on the, yeah. on the field. 
but now I'll get a, get another piece out mm. there. So still have all the things that you do so well available, but have that, that, that one-on-one catch creator on the outside. Right. And when teams have that, they become different teams. When you look at uh, DeAndre Hopkins, when, when you think about um, uh, Mike Thomas, when, when he's healthy, uh, yeah. Julio Jones. Shoot, now I'll be honest with you. If you watch the, if you watch the Falcons, freaking Calvin Ridley's like that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. When he has a one on one matchup. He's going to be open. Matt Ryan, you can throw it to him or not. He's going to get open. That was the guy I felt like the Ravens needed because of their lack of creativity in the offensive calls, but also because of their quarterbacks' inaccuracies and ineptitudes outside the numbers. So looking at Antonio Brown going to Tampa Bay, I think for three months, if you include the eight weeks plus the postseason, everything's going to be fine. He'll be a model teammate. They want to all win together. It's going to work out. How do you think Antonio Brown fits in Tampa? Um, I I think he fits well because I don't believe he's a need. Yeah. Right? And Antonio Brown is is a luxury. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have become hoarders of talent. The, uh, uh, the Tampa Bay, what, 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 what we failed to realize in uh, the breakup of the GOATs was that Tom Brady's actually a better GM than Bill Belichick. Hmm. Look at the people Tom Brady's assembled in Tampa. And I don't care. You're not, you're not telling me that that's Bruce Arians. You're not telling me that that's the GM in Tampa. That's Tom Brady. You know no, what? I don't think. No, I'm sorry, Ryan. I, I don't mean to embarrass you in a public forum like this. But it, I, Bruce Arian said Tom Brady had had no knowledge of this. He didn't, he didn't have any idea that we would have him. I hope that Tom gets to talk to Antonio before they play a game together, because apparently Tom. Yeah, like, who now? Who? Oh, great! I, I listen. I heard what Bruce said. I've also hung out with Bruce Arians during training camp. That's not true. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I love BA. Um, and so, like, but you think about. You think about that team. Chris Godwin has a finger right now. He's going to miss Monday. But they beat the Las Vegas Raiders, and they played very well offensively. Mike Evans doesn't get his first catch until middle of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Finishes the game with two catches. Freaking Scotty Miller, who won, by the way, and I can say this on this show because this is not like I couldn't say it on TV like I wanted to. Dudes better stop running out on Scotty Miller like he's a white boy. All right? And this, this is my public service announcement to all the brothers that play DBs, right? Play DB. And you can ask, right? You know, when you walk out there and you see Wes Welker, you're like, hey, I ain't getting beat deep today, right? When you see Julian Edelman, <laughs> Amendola, shoot, you can go back in the day when you saw Wayne Corbett, you know, there's a certain thing you feel as a DB. You're like, he ain't running past me. Well, you keep running out on Scotty Miller like he's not going to run past you, and you're going to be out there crispy burnt toast. Barbecue chicken, rotisserie, right? And that's what are doing. This dude's four three every day of the week. He averaged 18 yards a catch against Vegas. Gronk starts to get rolling, right? Leonard Fournette, who people I think forget had over 70 catches last year, has become, when he's available, one of the best third down backs yeah. in the NFL from a pass catching standpoint. And so, like, this team is loaded. And so now you add Antonio. I think if you look, listen to what Bruce said, he mentioned. The fact that Mike didn't get a lot of catches against Vegas, but he didn't say a word because they were winning. And then Antonio has to fall into that. And that's why I say he's a luxury. Now, the one thing I've learned about Tom is if he feels you're really good, he'll make sure you get your touches. Um, when Antonio played the one week against Miami when uh, in New England, he yeah. got his 
uh, Josh Gordon, when he was part of the team, he always got his targets. So Antonio will get his targets. What it's going to be about in Tampa, though, is if you get five targets, you got to catch four. Because you may not be able to get more than five. And Antonio is going to have to understand that. And I think as long as they're winning and going, he'll be fine. Uh, I personally thought the better spot was Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought just from a from an individual accomplishment standpoint, because Russ is Russ wants like Russ wants to throw the ball. Russ wants to show people yeah. that the whole Legion of Boom, we're going to be a run first team, is over. And you know you have Tyler Lockett and you have DK Metcalf, but you add Antonio Brown to that, and right away he's the best wide receiver on that team. And he's going to get his opportunities. He's going to get his footballs. And so I thought that would be the best move. But that shows you how much Tom Brady played a part into his decision. I got to think that Brady or A.B.'s handlers or or, who, or B.A. or whoever it is, same thing as in KC with Levy and Bell. Somebody's got to be in his ear and be like, listen, you got to toe the line. There's no, uh, no nonsense on the sidelines. This is good for you to be on a winning team that has a chance to go to the Super Bowl, and you'll come out on the other side with a nice big deal somewhere if you show for two or three months that uh, that you're a team guy, right? I mean, it's as simple as that. I, 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 I'm not going to let you do that, Dave. I'm not going to let you paint Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown in the same. That's fair. You're absolutely right that that's unfair. I'm just looking yeah. back from a dis. I, I but I think. But yep. I think what I say does apply. I'm not saying that they're the same human being mentally or anything. I'm just saying that the dynamic is the same for both those guys. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the dynamic's definitely the same. I think Le'Veon's actually in a better position, though, from a sense of even though Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a very good player, Le'Veon Bell is every bit as good. And, you know, he plays a position where he could get more touches, right? You, you, Those guys become... Yeah. Uh, a tandem, a duo, right? Because you really don't want you. You're talking about a a rookie who played 15 football games last year at, at the running back position, and now you're going to ask him to play what what could probably be 19 this year. So you're going to want somebody that can come in and get quality reps. That's the way the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. have have run their backfield, and so I think Le'Veon Bell's positioning is a little different to me. It's a very smart deal for him to make. Um, I don't know if Tampa was the smartest place for Antonio, just mm. individually. I just think they got so many people to get the ball to, you know, and too, if you watch this team, they don't want to have to throw it around the yard 40 times, right? They like Ronald Jones. They like mm-hmm. Fournette. They, they enjoy beating the Green Bay Packers and only throwing for 170. <laughs> the other part about that is Tom Brady's okay with playing football like that. Like, the dude truly wants to win, and he comes from an organization that was okay if they felt like their run game and their offensive line was the the best way to win a football game. Tom Brady's going to throw the ball 20 times, but they're going to yeah. win, and he's going to walk off in his Tom Ford suit, right, His in his coat with the fur in that joint, which he ain't got to wear in Tampa no more, and he's going to be okay with that. And so I think when you keep looking at those things – all those things say to me, okay, Antonio, you do have to toe the line. Okay, Antonio, this might not be the day where you show you're the best receiver in football. And so to me, I do agree with you on that point, Dave. It's like, look, you got a chance to win the championship, show that you're a team player, and next year is your opportunity to go out and get a little bit more money. 
Well, speaking about running backs, let's talk about why you hate Derrick Henry so much. Uh, you got. Oh, I was waiting for this. And, finally, and we get you, to the meat uh, yeah. of it. And um, you made some disparaging comments about how Derrick Henry is the worst running back in the NFL. Titans yep. fans took it very, very <laughs> attentively. No, here's what he said, guys. Here's what he said. RC said that in the hole, he would take himself or, over Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry, and this is true. Go watch the video. I'm not making it up. He does not run with his pads forward. He never does between the tackles. Go, that that's just what he is. Doesn't mean he's not physical. Doesn't mean he's not good. But RC, can you explain your take because people, yeah. of course, don't understand it. Yeah. So so I'm a, my take was 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 born because of my my nature as a football player, right? Like I got tired of having to go on TV and talk about Derrick Henry stiff arming defensive backs <laughs> in the open field, like it was this mind blowingly amazingly physical play. And so I felt like that started bubbling up in me. You know? I was like, frick, won't somebody just get in a sprinter stance and just go run at his face? Because my thought was, he's not going to try to run you over, right? Like, that's that's not his game. And and in trying to explain that to people who didn't play football, like Stephen A. Smith, who's like, but he's so dumb. I was like, no, bro, you're really just soft. And me feeling like that made it come out the way it did. But here – but. Here is my point. Derrick Henry is a tall back, right? He's he's a, a, a taller back who um, who doesn't run behind his shoulder pads. And right. so if you get him in the trenches, if you get him in the meat of, of, of football, you can get under his pads. And I was watching it all season, whether it's Denver, Jacksonville. And I kept telling people, hey, man, all you got to do is run at his face. All you got to do is run at his face. Like I called it fake bravery. What I should have called it was uh, conditional aggression, right? Because when he sees a little guy in the open field, he has long arms. He likes to stiff arm, but he still don't go at them. And so I kept trying to say, hey, if he gets one-on-one with a dude his size, he's in trouble. I kept trying to say, if if one of them catch him in the hole, he's in trouble. Then Bart Scott was like, Rob Spillane. Who is Rob Spillane? He's in that Rob Spillane. And I was like, bro, Rob Spillane's going to get him because he's not – and no, no offense to him. Not saying he's not this good. I'm saying he's not this accomplished. Accomplished yet. He's not in a place to have ego. What stops us from getting run over is ego, because we say, "Man, if I run up there and I get run over, then it's going to be talked about." He ain't got that ego, you know. He's just like, "I'm out here to play. Like I gotta go. I gotta prove I belong." So I knew if he got his chance, it was going to be elbows and a holes, and I'm trying to run through him. And it was. It's the. <laughs> It's, I'm the most happy. I was the most happy person in history of TV because I could go. Told you. Now, will Derrick Henry still rush for 1,600 yards? Probably so because people get tired of hitting him and he, they wear on him. But that's the one thing I was talking about, and it was good to see Spillane do it after I picked him. I predicted it. I'm like Ryan Stradamus. <laughs> <laughs> Clark Stradamus. As far as that goes, yeah, you always you, you talk about you need to have your thing. If you're a, a you know Terrell Edmonds, he, he needs to have his thing. You know, uh, in that Steelers secondary a little bit. Your thing was in the uh, gaggle of talent all around you on uh, a generation ago with these Steelers. Your thing was bringing thump. As far as that goes, when Colin Kaepernick was taken off. I, I was talking to a bunch of – I talked to Terrell Suggs about it. You know, Steelers, Ravens type of guys. They said, 
what you got to do early in the game is hit him and hit him hard. Oh yeah. And I said, it's that simple. What are you talking? I like, no, you hit him hard. You must break his will from doing that. As far as that goes, what would, for somebody who's one of the great hard tacklers, hard hitters of the 21st century, what's your assessment? How did Kaepernick never take a direct shot? Russell Wilson, you never see get lit up, but Mike Vick and RG3 would get blown up a ton. Why is Lamar Jackson must be vexing if you were out on the field against Lamar Jackson? How do you catch that guy? It's we. I, I mean, I mean, how do you light him up to break his will? It's amazing this deep into um, his career now that nobody has really blown that guy up yet. Yeah. So I just think I think that when when you play quarterback, it's okay to run out of bounds. When you play quarterback, it's okay to avoid hits. And so those guys can do that. Like it's, it's not, it's not something that's going to be looked upon like you're not being tough or you don't want to win. And so when you get the smart ones like Kyler, Russell, uh, Colin, um, Lamar, that are also slippery and talented, they understand when to go for extra yards, when not to. Um, a guy like RG3, Raheem Morris, to me, had the greatest description of him. He called him a rat on a motorcycle. And he said he was basically just like, rah, 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 ah, and he'd just jump off the motorcycle. You know what I'm <laughs> like, that's what he was. I don't even think Michael Vick took as many hard hits as he just got tackled a lot. But RG3 was a guy who couldn't, he couldn't wiggle. He couldn't move in and out. And he also couldn't digest when a play was over. I think the the best quarterbacks that run the football can do that. And, you know, those guys, you know, were guys that could do that. All right, listen, we've uh, we've taken uh, full advantage and then some of uh, your time, Ryan Clark. Know you're busy. Uh, just that, round it out here, a, a final pick for uh, Steelers at Ravens. A big one here because if yeah, the Steelers so, win it, two-plus up halfway yeah, through the season. I'm going Steelers 30. I'm going Steelers 27, Ravens 23. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Uh, we love the work you're doing on ESPN. Best star, Palmina Kimes over there. Man, I'm st- still pining. One day, uh, out of uh, out of justice, we'll see you and Mina Kimes up in a, a Monday night football booth or in a football booth because America would love to hear you guys chop it up a little bit. Meantime, thanks so much for all the time, Take pal. Care, bud. Thank you. Oh, man, what a gem. What a gem. Uh, we told him 15 minutes in advance. I kind of feel bad. But then again, um, he was uh, he was so good. How could I possibly cut him off? Right. Here's the thing about those interviews, Dave, is we be, we've come to know that 15 minutes typically is like 45. Like, there's no, know, I, like, well, but I'm not like, doing it on purpose. No, I know. But like anytime I'm like everyone's like, OK, 15 minute Zoom. I'm like, OK, it's going to let me block out 30 for this one. Like the, you, don't, you don't really get if it's a radio interview, you know, they have a clock. Right. Like It has to eventually end at some point um but you know these zoom interviews now which we didn't do six months ago um it was you know it's like a 15 minute thing now it's like okay it's 43 minutes in i'm like all right let's come let's come on i gotta go eat i have to eat a silky chicken come on let's go (laughs) um all right let's let's make our pick shall we because now somehow i'm getting hungry i don't know what how that worked out but anyhow let's start off with a little college football specifically the Big Ten Rivalry Week rolls on. It's hard for me to say that. Rivalry Week. Rivalry Week. There we go. Um, the conference ruled currently by the Indiana Hoosiers. By the way, go listen to uh, Extra Points um, from Wednesday. My old man's voicemail that he left me 
when in overtime when he thought I couldn't see the game in California. He left me a voicemail to do some play-by-play of Michael Penix's two-point conversion, um, and it's pretty funny. So you should go listen. Yeah, to that. I, I think I think he was out of bounds. So uh, it shouldn't, it shouldn't I think I, I you know what I know it's crazy. And when I looked at it the first time I saw the replay, I thought uh, he didn't get there. And then you look at it a little bit more, and I think that he's dri- he's not just going out of bounds he's also drifting forward and as he extends the ball in this kind of diagonal drift towards the pylon i think the nose of the ball actually does hover over the goal line for an instant before it hits the ground or pylon i really do think that i'm not just I, saying i'm actually I'm, look i'm i'm fine with rewarding efforts like that for touchdowns like i'm actually fine with that in the end like i think that replay and this is a, a controversial opinion on social media but i don't i don't think it is replay in my opinion should be used to fix egregious errors on the field. We we far often use it for other things that I think it's just, you know, like in, in, in the college basketball championship game, when the ball gets hit on someone's hand and literally like grazes the pinky on the way out, and they're like, oh, oh, Virginia ball. You're like, what are you talking about? They hit the ball out of the guy's hand. It was off Virginia. Like it doesn't, or where Texas Tech, whatever the, the, it was. I'm like, what are you guys doing? It's not why replay review is not into review. There was a play in the World Series, and luckily they called them safe, but a raised player slides into third base. His his gut, like, comes off the base for, like, the mid-second, and they're like, tag him. And it's like, come on, we know he's safe. He beat the throw. Like, what are we doing here? I think review, it's overused, and I'm fine with this being a touchdown. Yes, and we can have a uh, a more fulsome conversation on instant replay. Um at some other point, but I mean, yeah, I, it's both, um, it, it's, it's overused and it's underused. I, we got to settle on one or the other here because the fact that holding and PI are, aren't reviewable, but as you say, the, the glancing touch of a fingertip can be evaluated. That's where it gets sideways. Like, what are we doing? We're being this precious about millimeters in some places, but egregious PI is like, well, what are we going to do? Can't, can't go back and look at that. Want, I don't think crazy. you want, I don't see, but I think that the judgment calls like that are really tough to review because you, you'll bog down the game doing that. Like, like what do you, unless it's like an XFL sky judge thing where every play they can just be like, all right, you know, buzz down. All right. 74 is holding. Yeah, that's it. That is the solution. But, the NFL is yeah, precious but, but about I, protecting. But I don't think, but Dave, Dave, I, here's a scenario that I thought about this. So let's say beloved Pittsburgh Steelers are playing the Ravens this weekend. You guys complete a 55 yard pass to Claypool. You run down the field. Everyone's cheering. Boom, boom. The, the ball's at the seven yard line. You're about to tap the ball. Uh, after review, it's a holding on on uh, David DeCastro, you have to walk 75 yards back the other direction to get ready for the next play. No one wants that in the NFL. No one wants to watch football that way. I yeah, no, I agree. But I'm <laughs> but 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 I'm also then arguing then well then then one or the other. Either then stop dissecting millimeters. Correct. Or I agree. I mean, yes. There, there there's some in between, but also you floated out there rhetorically. But yes, I think the answer is is that. We live in 2020. This hokum that the NFL is like, well, we got to leave all the authority with the officials on the field. No, you don't. Why would we We have the technology on our couch? We can see the play better than these officials can. Why it's so hard and why, why it's beyond them to to accept the fact that you could just have guys in New York going like, Agreed. yeah, that's that's a catch. That's a catch. And it would take. Well, they do that seconds. now, don't they? 
but it's right. But I mean, it should be like four seconds. This thing that it's so labored and it takes 10 minutes to review every play is unnecessary. You could just have a guy sitting off in some nerve center going like, yeah, he was out of bounds. Move on. And that would be it. That would be like, oh, you know, the yeah, audience I'm, I'm, doesn't I'm with, need I'm with you there on that. Anyway, Michigan State, Michigan, Sparty, Grim Days, yeah. plus 24 and a half against the rival. How say you? So I, I I leave Michigan State here for a couple reasons. One is, you know, they, they turned the ball over eight times last weekend. I mean, they're not going to turn the ball over eight times this week. Um, uh, in Michigan, obviously, big win against Minnesota. Best they looked at offense in years, right? I mean, the, the quarterback that they have uh, was, was kind of a complete guy that they've been missing for a lot of years. I just think that it's a good situational spot to take Michigan State here. Just I just don't think they're going to – they're not going to turn the ball over eight times again. Okay. Um, I mean, numbers that big start to get crazy. I'll take Sparty here. Um, I guess I, uh, to this point, Jim Harbaugh's greatest contribution for all the hype around it and all the noise continues to be that when they're on the road, uh, he brought back the white pants, which I was against in the moment, but those look really smart with the white jersey. That's about as uh, big a compliment as I can give Jim Harbaugh uh, there. Now, their arch rival, Ohio State, um, now with Penn State, the Nittany Lions licking their wounds, yeah. understandably, after getting dominated by the Indiana Hoosiers. Nittany Lions plus 11 and a half. How say you shorts? I lean Penn State here uh, as well. Do you? Um, wow. Yeah. Um, I, you know, they, they played decently well against Indiana, right? They had some some obviously some turnover issues, and obviously the very end just wasn't, wasn't coached very well. And that's my problem with Penn State is that they just they have – Issues down the stretch with James Franklin and game management. And that's a worries about betting this. But I think that they're still supremely talented. Uh, and Ohio State, as good as they looked in the second half, they kind of looked okay in the first half. I don't know. I just I think it's a lot of points in it with, with two good teams. I think Penn State's I mean, good on defense, by the way. They can play defense. I don't know how these kids regard this season, but if you're Penn State, I don't really see outside of the love of the game at this point already what they're playing for. You know, in this truncated weirdo kind of season, whereas Ohio State has every reason to be motivated to lay it on Penn State here um, and, and because they're playing for something at this point. But after you lose in Bloomington, Indiana, your season's more or less over in terms of like being nationally relevant. But not, but not I, they beat Ohio State. Touche. I guess that's a good. I don't know. Uh, really, is Penn State still relevant in uh, some sort Ohio, of a playoff they, mix? They beat Ohio State. They are. Yeah. Touche. All right. I, I didn't think that's that thought through <laughs> very well. I'm glad you're here for that. Spaghetti. Who you got in that Big Ten game? I, I I'm. I think Ohio State's going to win. Penn State to me is this team, and if my friends who listen to this have a ton of Penn State friends are going to hate me, but it's like they come into every season like this where there should be like the second best, maybe third best uh, Big Ten team, maybe push for the, the the top spot, and they go and blow a game like they did to Indiana. So it's like I have no – I have no uh, – uh, you know, I don't respect them as a team. I don't think they're going to come in here and beat Ohio State, even with the, the points. I, I don't I don't buy them. They're always just frauds. Um, next up, let's jump to some pro football action uh, Sunday. A compelling game here. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, and I was one of them in in sports, in football media, people, uh, you know, uh, whose opinions perhaps you lean on a little more heavily than my own, people like Mina Kimes and uh, Will Brinson and so on, were in on the Detroit Lions. And I thought they were going to make a playoff run, too. I had them slotted. And now they're starting to track in the right direction. At home, 
Colts fresh off the bye. Yeah. Lions plus two and a half. How say you, Schwartz? That's a tough so, one, I think. So I, I was on the Lions train as well. Remember, I picked them to win the NFC. You did. North. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You did. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Um, I left you but I, I think the Colts uh, win, win this game in cover. I think Colts off a bye. They, they're getting healthy. Darius Leonard practicing again. Um, I just don't know what to trust the Lions, right? They go down and beat Jacksonville. Jacksonville's not a good football team. They should have lost to the Falcons. Matt Ryan tells Todd Gurley, don't score a touchdown. First of all, they should just kneel the ball. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, come on. Um, and they should have lost that game. Like, and then we're looking at a two and four Lions team who who's been Jacksonville and who, I don't even know who else they beat. They matter. They beat the Cardinals. They won in Arizona, which is a good win. Yeah, but, and yeah, also, but the Cardinals, DeAndre, the also have gone better throughout the year. Like the Lions are just like just blah. I'm taking the Colts. End of story. Okay, I, I I will say not that I'm big on the Lions, but I will say if DeAndre Swift catches a pass in Week One, the Bears story never gets off the ground, and instead we, we would enough. be talking about the Lions. So I I think it, it, you could kind of call that a wash for a game that they should have won and a game that they should have lost. There, let's go to the AFC East. I don't know all of. And by the way, the other I know you don't agree with this. And speaking of Lions, the sleeping lion, the sleeping giant right now are the one people are not paying attention to. It's all in the AFC. Chiefs, Steelers, Ravens, all this. Don't don't yet sleep on the Colts. That defense is mighty. And if they can get Michael Pittman back and making contributions, that's exactly what old man Rivers needs. That's exactly the kind of guy they need. You live in Los Angeles. Yes. You have watched Phillip Rivers play for many years now. Philip Rivers is going to compete with the Chiefs, the Ravens, Steelers, and Titans. Is that what you're going with No, I'm saying the defenses. I'm saying the defense is, is – Yeah, is, but the other teams can, can the other teams don't have old man Philip Rivers throwing ducks in, you know, outside Kansas City in the winter. Like, it's not, ride the kids. Ride the kids. Go nah, between between Taylor and Pittman, those, those are difference makers. And you know what's interesting is rookies are playing much better collectively. They are. Um, than than I think we expected. But all right, let's talk AFC East here. The Bills all of a sudden looking awfully mortal. The New England Patriots looking worse than that. Looking Well, I guess they're still mortal, but certainly not uh, a scary team anymore. Heading up to uh, upstate New York. Cam limping into town. Plus three and a half. How say you, Schwartz? Yeah, I'm going to have to take the L on the Patriots this year, Dave. You were right about about them. I I bought into the helmet. I bought into the helmet. Bought into the hoodie. I, um, I appreciate you saying that, the no jive policy on this show. But why you don't confirm that in a public forum, I don't know. Well, this is a public forum, but why you don't respond to me on Twitter? When I, I call you out on that, you just stay silent. I, you, believe you our, our, I mean, I believe our podcast has millions of listeners. So millions of people now will be able to listen to me profuse my uh, apology to you about that. I was wrong. The Bills are going to win this game. They should cover. I mean, even ah. the Patriots defense. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd say, well, Josh Allen hasn't played well against them, and he, he really hasn't. He had two good passes last season, remember, late in the year in that game. But the Patriots aren't what they used to be. And so I think the Bills win this game. This is kind of their, their time to take over the, the AFC East. That was a great thing by Ryan Clark that Brady's a better GM. And again, I guess maybe we'll find – maybe we won't find out in – two weeks or two months or two years. But at some point when Belichick retires and everything else and we get away from it, I wonder if we'll start to find out like, yeah, 2020 was all a referendum on Belichick. Brady left, Gronk left, the player, the I, I de- half I the defense know. didn't I'm, show up. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just interested I mean, who, in this I mean, who, I mean, who wins with bad rosters in the NFL? I'm just saying that, I mean, more than by far and away, Patriots defenders all just bailed on the season. Oh, Brady's gone. Uh, well, well, that, well, that's Probably. definitely fair to say. Yes. 
Um, man, the Patriots, you know, I got PTSD from the Patriots, of course. So I don't know. I, it's hard for me to go against them in this spot because it does feel like it's pretty close to their season is hanging by a thread here. If they lose this yeah. one, if the Bills whip them, the Patriots ain't going to the playoffs. And, uh, you know, they, I, I, they might I, be sellers I, even. I, I I get all that. I get all that. But this is the point that you've made to me, Dave. This is what you said to me, is that don't look at the at the logo on the helmet and the coach on the sidelines. Look at the players on the field, right? And they're not playing well right now. I don't know what's going to change that, right? They used to have Tom Brady to help change that. They used to have the same pieces on defense all the time. They lost all those players. They're not there. And there's something to be said about this. I know Cam was asymptomatic, I believe, for, for COVID, but he has not been the same guy since he came back. Is that because ah. he had a couple of weeks off? Is that because I, I don't know what the reason is? That's worth pointing that out. Obviously, I hope he plays well. I was rooting for Cam this year in New England. I want him to rehabilitate his image. But that that guy in Seattle, we haven't seen that guy. And, and maybe it's the offensive line, and maybe it's the lack of weapons, and maybe it's lack of creativity. But it also could be that Belichick's just look, we're not good. We're gonna pack it up and try to get Trey Lance in the draft or something like that. I don't know, but I just don't see this team just magically flipping a switch and being good in Buffalo, especially because Buffalo Buffalo knows this is their opportunity. The first one they've had in 20 years now to take over the AFC East. It is a big game for Josh Allen because they're struggling. It's easier to, as they always say, if things are going well, then I guess it's easier to ride that wave. But yeah. now some pushback on them. This feels like a big spot. A uh, You know, this wounded Patriots team, they're supposed to win now. The Bills aren't just like, we have a, ch- a chance to win this division. The curse is supposed to looms in this one. Oh, yeah. Josh Allen all of a sudden is supposed to win this game. So now he has to go out there and do it. And to answer your question practically, it would seem to me that the answer is to try and grind them, is to just try and yeah. run Cam and their backs right at the, the Bills defense, which can't stop the run, and see if they can rise up and stop them this week. Spaghetti, your pick, Patriots, Bills, uh, Bills given three and a half. Bills win a close one, I think like a 4-5 uh, score game. Uh, the Patriots will win next uh, week versus the Jets, and then the next four games of that is going to get dicey for them. It's going to be really interesting to see like what the, the Pats do with Cam Newton. If he's not playing well, if they leave in Stidham. Um, I mean, they, like Jeff was mentioning, they have a severe lack of weapons, and Nikhil Harry's not the guy that thought was, he was going to be taking him in the first round. I thought they'd be okay with the stable running backs they have and just the coaching job done by Belichick. Um, like I think I said at the pot a couple weeks ago, if there's any coach who could figure out this like COVID offseason, it would be Belichick. But um, it's not happening. So I, I guess I was wrong too. And they're gonna they're gonna be in some weird, weird spots here in the next few weeks. I'll tell you what's a crazy one, because now you're hearing about Stefan Gilmore and in the new NFL, I mean, in just the last like four or five years, there were never trades in the middle of of a season. And now because of, you know, people now figuring out how to manipulate the cap and everything else that if you're um, if your season is essentially over, you can become sellers in that. And uh, people are talking about Gilmore and otherwise some big J.J. Watt people are talking about maybe moving. How about this? Here's a crazy one for you. Why don't the Cowboys or the Bears, for that matter, go get Cam Newton? If the season is over for the Patriots, but Cam looks yeah. okay. Let's see how, I mean, if he looks I mean, like junk, but if he looks okay in this game, but they still lose, why not just say like, ah, we'll just go stand up. The trade deadline is, for- is Tuesday, right? It's a, right. Uh, I remember Schefter made that joke on Twitter like three weeks ago and everyone, not everyone, one exact person lost her mind about it. Um, but I, uh, I, I just, 
I mean, you have to you, you have to sit out a week, right, for COVID protocol. So they would trade for him entering week nine. He then sits out a week, has to learn a new, a different offense in Matt Nagy's offense, and then he's ready by week what twelve? I mean, by then it's like, why even bother doing this if you're the Bears? Touche. Um, fascinating number on a pro football game. The Chiefs. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this one, but Schwartz. Um, any insights on uh, on the guy named Mitchell? Is he going to be out there? Do you know about that stuff, or is um, that the kind of stuff you keep in the family? Uh, I probably keep that in the family. I mean, does it okay. does it matter? I mean, if he, does he if he plays or the Chiefs? Well, I, by no, not points? straight up. It doesn't. No, yeah, it doesn't make a difference straight up. But the number on this game is nineteen and a half. I mean, I think, nineteen I, and a half. It's a I, pro football game. I think if Mitch plays, it goes to twenty three, right, or twenty four. And he's that important to the offense? Um, yes. I mean, look, the plays the Chiefs here are pass. That's the, your two options. <laughs> well, I, I do love the idea of a of a human being going in somewhere, going as the, to FanDuel. If you well, do want to take the Jets, though, we encourage it. We, in fact, I appreciate the loyalty. If you do, go to uh, FanDuel.com slash minus three. The word minus the number three, and 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 take your uh, Jetropolitans there plus the nineteen and a half. Maybe you'll wind up happy you did. The total on that one, by the way, <sighs> 49. Um, two more. Let's get through here, Schwartz. And uh, again, with our theme of rivalry week, Niners, Seahawks, once a great rivalry. And now, perhaps once again, although I think the great rivalry emerging is going to be Russell v. Kyler. Hope you listened to Damashek when he told you. My voice started to get really hot. He's not MVP. All right, but it's it still looks good though, right? That still was a that was a pretty good one. Um, Kyler Murray, I hope you jumped on him because he is the um, he is the wild card of the MVP. Right? Too soon to talk about it either way. Seahawks minus two and a half hosting the Niners. How say you, Schwartz? So the line opened at five, right? Seahawks are by five. It's all the way down to two and a half. I like the Niners at three and three and a half. At two and a half, I'm not sure I like the Niners so much in this in situation. Here's the thing about the Niners. They have improved steadily as they've been healthier on offense, especially and on, really on defense too. But we saw weeks one through five, their offense was about eh, a little below average. The last two weeks against the Rams and Patriots, two good defenses, they played really well on offense. And Jimmy G's healthier. The offense line's playing better. They're starting to really play well right now. And the reason why I like the Niners in this game Hey, Seattle's defense can't stop a soul, right? They can't stop anyone. They're bad on third down. They can't rush the passer. They can't get, you know, they can't stop. They're like, what are they doing in this game that makes you think, hey, man, they're going to do enough to win this game. And the Niners defense can just do enough to, to irritate the Seahawks. So I think the Niners win this game. Obviously, I would have liked it better at plus three or plus three and a half, but I'll take them at plus two and a half anyways. Man, I'm with you about this. I know it's exciting and it's super fun to watch Russell Wilson play and it, he makes – miraculous plays and as i say he's the t1000 he uh, in terminator 2 whatever you do no matter when you think and it's amazing how regularly as a viewer and i'm not a seahawks lover hater otherwise i just enjoy watching them and but you think like all right this game's over in circumstance it's the fourth quarter you're like okay the other team's gonna win and somehow it always is a game again it somehow always comes down to the wire with them all that being said the Seahawks are not going to the Super Bowl because they don't play defense. Now, Carlos Dunlap, I don't know what other trades may still happen there, but the defense as constituted yeah. is not good enough to be relevant. I'm with you, and I like what the Niners are doing here. Um, I'm going to roll with the Niners. Eddie Spaghetti, how say you? 
I'm actually going to take the Seahawks because I think they're going to win on a last second uh, field goal here. That's oh, like Jeff was oh, saying, which they had three, three and a half. I, I think to me, the Seahawks, they don't play normal games. Everyone knows that. But I will say this. The 49ers may be the best ran organization and best coached organization from top to bottom because it makes no sense to me how this team is above 500. And they, I mean, they beat the Giants, which doesn't count, but they did it with their backups, though. It's like you have all these injuries and they somehow just still, yeah. still manage. They just, oh, this running back, sir, we're going to put in this guy. And like, you know, they drafted Brandon Ayuk, who did not get the the pub that other receivers in this draft got. And he's been very productive for them. And like, obviously, you have Kittle, who's a difference maker. It's just insane how they, they just somehow, yeah. uh, like the, the ship didn't sink and they just figured it out. I mean, they're going to be competitive the whole rest of the way so good for them but i'm still gonna go with the seahawks in this one two two more points jamal adams coming back it's important if he's able to play this week number two this is this is we talk about seattle a lot i've played in seattle multiple times it's very hard to play in seattle it's tough it's loud but the home field advantage the last two years hasn't been there right they lost three games last year at home and now this year there's no fans right they're only five and nine covering the last 14 games at home like they have not been as good of a home team as we think just so just 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 something to think about here Great note. Great note. Um, and let's bring it on home one more time. FanDuel.com slash minus three for the big one. The greatest rivalry in uh, 21st century sports. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers undefeated traveling over to Charm City, Maryland to play the mighty Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, the revelation of 2019, as Damashek told you he would be 2020. As Damashek told you in the offseason, coming back down to earth, I happen to feel like the Ravens are in a bit in a great spot here. Um, mentally, pro, or at least my assumption is that they understand looking at the schedule as much as one might as a football player and understanding they have a slightly tougher road to hoe going forward. They have the one loss already. The Steelers don't. The, the Ravens. I won't say it's a necessity that they win the game, but they would be two plus back of the Steelers with roughly half a season to go. I think the Ravens probably have a different level of urgency than, um, than the Steelers do. How say you Schwartz? I'm I'm with you here. Um, I like the Steelers getting the plus plus three and a half, the line that we have uh, fanduel.com slash minus three. But I think the Ravens win this game. I think it's, it's within that three point, Margin, though, I mean, it's a good game. I think the Ravens, to your point, the sense of urgency. Plus, I do think we're kind of sleeping on them a little bit. I mean, right, they lost the Chiefs. They pretty much dominated everyone else. I mean, and their offense just hasn't been as good. I think what Ryan Clark talked about is important here, about turnovers, right? And you've mentioned this as well. It feels like this could be a game where Ben gets a little sloppy. He was sloppy in the second half last week. If he gets sloppy this week, the Ravens will force um, a bunch of turnovers. You know, this division is, is really fascinating, Dave, because I looked at the Browns' schedule, by the way, they're going to be nine and two. They're going to win the next four games probably. And we're going to have a, a, a situation where we're going to have three teams in this division with, with seven, eight, nine wins by about week 11. It's a wild AFC North. I agree with you. The thing that hurts the Browns right now is, and of course, one of these, one of the, whether this one, one of the Steelers or Ravens by Sunday night is going to have a loss in the AFC North standings. Um, but right, we're currently the Browns have head-to-head losses against both those teams. So they to be to actually steal the division, they would have to win both of those games yeah. um, in the comeback for those. But um, yeah, I know it's so like like I say, it's super easy to say that. But there's some obvious reasons why um, both defenses are probably thinking we 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 have a chance to turn 
the other quarterback over here. Yeah. Um, and I, and I do think that that is, um, the, the thing that people I can tell you in Pittsburgh are talking about a lot is for some reason, Roethlisberger for as statuesque as he is, is getting a lot of passes tipped at the line. Yeah. Roethlisberger himself says it's the RPO stuff. As you and I have talked about, I wish they would stop doing the RPO they, stuff they, they with need him. To, they need to throw the right. RPO out of that offense. They need to throw up the playbook with the RPOs and shoot it down. They need to be done with that offense. That offense, that RPO stuff does not help them. Now, you can run RPOs, by the way, without that little play action, right, which people have always done. Okay, we're going to run the ball, but there's actually a guy in the box. Throw a slant. Fine with that. Fine with that. But this thing where, where Ben has to, like, ride the running back, he, the ball never comes out of his hand right. He has no idea how to hold it. He rushes the throw. It it's so stupid. It doesn't work. I don't I, get it. I, I, compl- I I couldn't agree more, and I know it's like a dumb guy observation, but it really is true that when Roethlisberger does that, I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's you know in his late thirties and he didn't grow up doing it like some other guys did. He just he doesn't seem comfortable doing it, and he never gets a grip on the no, ball. The ball the always ball. comes out weird. Right. When he, he's, he's, not like holding, he, he's not. And by the way, right? and by the way, what per- I'd like to see the percentages on how often in the RPO where he makes the decision, yeah, I'm going to leave it with the back. He, I mean, it's, like, it's not even deceptive. Like if you're the defense, like, well, obviously he's not going to give it to the running back. It's big Ben Roethlisberger. He's going to, he's going to keep the ball and he's going to throw a worse pass because he has to indulge this nonsense that he's not good at. I, I wish I don't, the th- what I don't like is them going empty. Um, in short yardage, put the back back there, but, but don't do, you don't have to go the extra step of the hokum with the R. I mean, the RPO is great for a lot of teams. It's just not for the Steelers. Anyhow, as I've said before, I'll say it again for the first like 20 years of this rivalry, every single final score, look it up. If you don't believe me, every time the Ravens and Steelers played, the final score was 13 to 10 every single time. And it just was a difference of a matter of who, who got the 13. For inflation, they boosted it up. It's now 23 to 20 every time. And so that's good news for you. Get it at fanduel.com slash minus three. Again, minus the word three, the number. I'm going to take uh, – I, I, I'm, I'm not publicly going to pick the Ravens. What I'm doing is telling you to uh, to bet the Steelers here, plus three and a half. Remember, not a homer, Eddie. He's not a homer. Just FYI. That's not I can't wait I just the, say what you could read between the lines. I just I, told you what's early. Wait, the t- we'll get the text, the tweet Sunday morning. Be I just told the, you the um, margin is a three. I just told you it's a three point game. Everything else doesn't yeah. matter after that. All right. Spaghetti, you want to throw a pick in there? I will. I just went to fandle.com slash minus three and I, I bet the Steelers. There you uh, go. Three yeah, you half. know what? That's what I did. Go ahead. No, but I do. I do think I will. I will add that. I mean, the Steelers' defense is what the best versus the rush in terms of yards. A third, I think, versus pass. Um, and like you're saying, if this game's going to be close, the one thing the Steelers have, or I think, are of a better group than the Ravens do on offense, is just uh, flat-out playmakers. And I like that Juju got involved more last week with the, his number of catches. I know he's not making the flashy plays like Chase Claypool, um, my guy from the Irish, but he, uh, him being involved, is just uh, an extra headache. And they have other receivers and Ebron tight. They just, just too much to cover there. I think the Steelers are a phenomenal team. And also, last thing, Schwartz, how big is it to inject a guy like uh, Ngakwe into that? And then the other thing, last thing, and then we'll wrap it up here, is I'm curious because I, I I said it a couple of minutes ago. How much do players – I'm maybe it changes by the individual, but if you're the Ravens or Steelers or otherwise, do you look at the schedule and be like, oh, we need to win this game no. because if we don't, you don't ever? No. 
does John Harbaugh bring it up to the Ravens? Like, hey, guys, we're no. in bad trouble if we lose this game. We're going to have a hard tra- time winning the division. No, we better win. No. Really? No. no coach does that? Nope. Only you guys in the media. You guys in the media. Um, all right. That's it. And Ngakwe, let's not sleep on the fact that uh, he is a major presence potentially to inject into that uh, defense. The defense for Baltimore is officially not the issue. And I don't know, to your point about maybe we're sleeping on the Ravens a little bit. Maybe this uh, this fortnight away has allowed Roman to inject some some new looks into this uh, um, offense for the remainder of the season. Either way, get in on it. It's the rivalry of the year. Um, it's a big one for us. We appreciate you going through FanDuel.com slash minus three. Do it. I got to say, I think this was a dynamite show. And, uh, you know, two weeks in a row, Pittsburgh secondary members – have uh, helped make it sing. I thought uh, Ryan Clark was dynamite. We appreciate his time. Make sure you check him out on ESPN. Schwartz, what else is going on with you? We know, of course, uh, Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. Yeah, I mean, that's my podcast. Go check it out. Um, And I have four chickens. You go to my Twitter, my Instagram, see the life of my four chickens now. That's basically my life. That's all I do. It's just I'm going to get off here and go outside, put my overalls on, you know, tend to my chickens. Yeah, we got to get you one of them hats and like a, a hay. Oh, I have, I have my extra points hat downstairs. I should wear that. No, no. I, I mean, yeah, that. that's nice. But I mean, like we need to get you like a farmer hat and like a straw hay to put between your cheek and gums. That would be a good look there. Um, Eddie Spaghetti, make sure you're checking out all his work. What's up with the best way to track down your stuff? Eddie Spaghetti is on Twitter, right? My, my work. This is my work. Uh, just I don't know. I don't really tweet as much anymore. Just promotional stuff for these shows. But just add Edward L. Murphy. That's really just it. All right. Check it all out. Enjoy the games. Thanks again to Ryan Clark. Thanks to you for checking it out. Tell a friend, spread the good word, um, download, subscribe. We appreciate you doing all that. Make sure you check out extra points thrice weekly. And uh, we'll be back after week. What is this week? Eight already? Week seven? Week seven. Week uh, seven. Who knows? Week seven. Whatever it is. Which week eight? Nobody knows what week it is. Nobody knows anything in 2020 anymore. We'll talk to you after the week of uh, football action on the other side to help break it all down for you. Until then, for Jeff Schwartz, Eddie Spaghetti, Ryan Clark, thanks so much, football fans and sports fans in general. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs>